Amen. As uh, we're staying, we're going to go to the word of the Lord today. Uh, just one verse. Psalms chapter 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Would you say that again with me? Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. How many want that to happen today? Why don't we give the Lord a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, work in us today. Speak to us. Anoint our ears, our hearts to receive your word. God, and be obedient to your word. We thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Amen. You may be seated today. Amen. Last July. Last July, a man by the name of Maddie Roberts went on Facebook and created an event as a joke. And he randomly picked the date of September 20th, 2019. It wasn't too long ago. But much to his surprise, over 2 million people RSVP'd. Which might become a problem if you were only doing it as a joke. And now you've got quite a movement going. Now you've got a lot of people coming to this fake event. You gave a location. You gave a date as a joke. And now two million people saying we're coming. But it gets worse for Maddie Because the FBI showed up to his house. Asking about this event that he created and he was planning and what his plans were were for it and how it all looked on this day. It must be quite the event if the FBI are interested. And the event name was Storm Area 51. September 20th came. Maddie, he didn't, it was a joke, so he never planned on going. But, believe it or not, about 150 people actually showed up to Area 51. Obviously, they did not storm it, or maybe they tried and we just never heard from them again. That's possible. But as you may or may not know, Area 51 is a highly classified and secret military base somewhere out in the desert somewhere. And God only knows what's behind those doors and those fences and those walls and barricades. But only somebody with a special admission is able to enter into that secret place and explore all that awaits. And while most people never will never be admitted to Area 51, there is a secret place that you can have access to. And that you can enter into. It is discovered and told about in Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I don't know where that is, but I tell you, I want to get there. I want to be there. I want to find that secret place, and I want to abide under God's shadow. If I see God's shadow in my life, I know that everything is going to be okay. No matter how bad the world gets, I see the shadow of God, and I know I'm in the safest place that I can be in. A place 
and God's presence that is closed off to the majority. The secret place of the Most High. A place where God wants everyone to find, but only those who truly desire it are going to find it. Two two million people will RSVP, say, yeah, I want to go to the secret place. But maybe only 150 people will actually put in the time and the strength and the energy and the sacrifice to actually find it and show up at the secret place. It's not a place on a map. It's not a place where you can just walk in or stumble in. It doesn't open up within the first 10 minutes of your prayer time. There is no timetable as to when you will enter into this secret place. It can be different every single day. It's different every time that you pray because the Spirit of God moves like a river, like a a living waters, and you cannot uh, program and, and, and box in a river that is flowing and so you just have to tap into the spirit of God and and the spirit the current of the spirit will take you to the secret place if you're willing to put in the time the energy and the effort and the sacrifice but if prayer is just a checkbox on your list to do every day if it's a chore something that you have to do you might have a hard time finding the secret place of the most high God Because prayer is something that we get to do. It's something that we get to experience. It's it's out of the mercies and grace of God that we can even do that and approach his most holy throne. It's a a place where we can unplug from this world and, and be catapulted into the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The secret place of the Most High. And I believe that unlocking the key, unlocking the door to the secret place of God is found in your own heart. Because your heart has to be right in order to enter in. Your spirit has to be in tune with God's spirit. Your mind has to be focused on him. And and I believe that is uh, the man who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart takes us through the admission process to enter into the secret place of the Most High. Heaven's Area 51, if you will. And so the title of my sermon today is Admission to Area 51. I believe that Psalm 51 is the roadmap to getting your heart right with God and thus can unlock the door to entering into places unknown in the Spirit. Before we dive in... uh, I, myself, part of me, I guess, is, would be considered uh, a prepper, and anybody know what a prepper is? People who are preparing for the apocalypse and uh, ready for the world to crash, come tumbling down. Uh, And so I've, you know, but just by my nature, by habit, I guess, I've collected things over the years to prepare for this great event, great and terrible event, I guess. But um, many preppers will 
stock up and buy freeze-dried food or canned food. I mean, you got to have food if you're going to survive the apocalypse and the zombies or whatever else is coming. I don't, I don't want to be here for that. So all this prepping, I guess, would be in vain. But nonetheless, many people stockpile food and the necessities and the essentials to do that and uh, buy guns and ammo and all those things because you got to protect everything and um, because once word gets out that you ha- you're the only person in your neighborhood that has any food left, then it's going to be a problem. I don't know if preppers think about that yet, but uh, it's nice thinking oh, I'm going to prepare for my family. What happens when word gets out that you're the only one that has fam- uh, food? And so that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but many people think and believe that we have to uh, get all these things and, and, and gather all these supplies to help calm the, the nerves that are inside because of the, the unworry, the, the worry and the unrest that is settling in our soul. But I've come to realize that it doesn't matter how much ammunition I buy, how much food that I buy to keep my family and myself safe. Those will not keep you safe in the end. And so why do I put my faith and my trust in my AR-15 when really that, that can be taken away really quickly? Or I can be taken away and then what happens then? And so what I have learned and discovered myself through seeking God and prayer is that if I want to keep my family safe and I want to keep my home safe to the best that I can do, the one thing, the one guarantee that I have found is that I get a hold of God like never before. I spend my time and my energy diving into the prayer room and at the altar because if I spend time in prayer and getting close to God, he can send down angels from heaven to guard my home, something that my my guns cannot do, something that my, my food cannot do. God can send angels to protect his people. And so I have discovered that the only guarantee for safety in my life is to get a hold of God. And so that's why if I'm, gonna, if I'm doing this for my family, then it, it means that I need to get up out of bed and pray. That's what I need to do to protect my family. I can buy ammos and stuff on the way home if I still want to. But the, the greatest protection that I believe for my family and my home is for me to get up out of bed and start praying. Get a hold of God. Learn how to plead the blood. Learn how to cast out fear and spirits and bind devils and tear down strongholds in my life, in my neighborhood. That's the greatest thing that I can figure out to help me in these last days because it can get really uncertain out there. And my prepper self will want to make a run to Bass Pro and buy everything up. But I have a peace in my heart that if I seek after God more than I used to, not talking like 15 minutes, that's just kind of warm-up prayer. If you want to get a hold of God in these last days, you're going to have to really carve out some time and really learn how to figure out how to get a hold of God, how to push through the distractions and the, the, the weights in our life. You have to figure that out for yourself. And so as a husband, a father, I, f- I feel that's my duty 
every man's duty to protect their family. And so I would say the best thing, men, you can do for your family is to get up out of bed and to pray. And when your family hears you praying in the morning, that will drive them to pray even more too. And then all of a sudden now your home becomes a fortified fortress of prayer. And there's no devil that will get through those doors. When you're pleading the blood of Jesus and the angels are watching over your home, there's nothing that can happen to you that's not in God's will. And so I want to get a hold of God. I want to find his spirit. I want to get him in my home and my life more than ever before. So that's what we have to do in these last days if you're worried about what's going to happen. If you've, if you've got God, you've got everything you need. And so this is not just some fancy sermon that I put together to tie Area 51 to Psalms 51. No, this is a psalm that I pray I get up and I pray this, this psalm. I thank him for his mercies. I thank him for the day. I start pleading the blood over the day, over my mind, my heart, my body. I ask him to hide me in his blood, to keep me from sin and wickedness and unrighteousness and uncleanliness in this world. God, you need to hide me from this because it's everywhere out there. And so if I don't plead the blood over myself, over my family, my home, what protection do I have from all of this? There's nothing that can get through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we need to learn to start pleading that over our minds, our eyes, our hearts, our homes, our family members. That's the greatest protection that we have against the devil, against sin. The devil cannot do anything against the blood of Jesus Christ. And so after I do that, uh, I pull out my phone and I turn to Psalm 51. Yes. Every day doesn't get old. And I start praying this verse by verse. I start praying it. And so that's what I felt to do today. Now I have, I have prayed this and it has consumed a lot of my time. Again, different times of the day. It depends. Every day is different. It can be an hour, hour and a half easily before, I'm even, before I even get through this. And so if, you need, if you're looking to add some time to your prayer, we're going to do that today for you. We're going to help you out, add a big chunk of time. Now, of course, you can just read through Psalm 51 in and, and 30 seconds and be done. Well, God, well, what, where are you, God? That's not what this Psalm 51 does. You speed through it, you're going to miss it. You're going to show up at Area 49. You cannot breeze through the text and things like this. And so the context that we see into this is in the introduction of verse 1 to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into into Bathsheba. And so this psalm, I believe, is the most broken that David ever got. This psalm describes his uttermost brokenness where he hit the bottom of his soul. And it would help us if we can learn from David because this is what God is looking for. 
This is what God is looking for in your heart to be broken. And if we can follow after David, follow his example and leadership in this, you will see that he empties out his soul unto God. He hides nothing. He drags himself to the altar in prayer, and he sacrifices himself upon the altar. And, are, and yet are we not also commanded to be a living sacrifice? Now, I know what the critics are thinking, that he prayed this after committing adultery and after committing murder. And so how am I expected to pray like that when I haven't done those deeds? Well, I would ask you, have you committed any sin? Because as far as I understand, sin is sin in God's eyes. There may be different consequences. Yeah, we understand that. And either uh, you've committed sin or you're a good person. Either you've fallen short of the glory of God or you're having or you're on par with God. And so the adulterer is going to go to hell. The murderer is going to go to hell. But so is the liar. So is the cheater. So is the drunkard. And so are the prideful. So, yeah, we can... Right off, say, oh, he wrote that when he committed adultery and got caught. Yeah, I might be broken like that too. But let me ask you, do you have any pride in your life? Our pride will send us to hell just as quick as adultery will. So either we can try to justify ourselves and pretend like we've cleared our conscience and become self-righteous. Or we can team up with David as he starts out this psalm in verse 1 by saying, Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God. Now either we can say, Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, God. Or kind of like we're just reading it and they're just only words. That's how you read through Psalm 51 in 10 seconds. They're just words. And if you say it from your mind, they can become meaningless words without uh, much depth to them. They can become a vain repetition. But you can read this whole psalm and not really get anything from it. That just means you're reading from your mind and it hasn't touched your heart yet. Or you can let the words penetrate your heart and truly believe every single word of them. Have mercy upon me, O oh God. You see, I used to thank God for his mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. When I would thank him for his mercy, it was because I just kind of expected it. I became a dependent upon it and... Once you just come to start expect things to happen for you, all meaning is lost. And so to me, there's a difference when I thank him for his mercy because I expect it. And there's a difference when I ask him for it. God, have mercy on me. Those words are from the heart of a man that desperately needs God's mercy. That without his mercy, he was going to die. I've got news for you. If God doesn't have mercy upon us, we're not going to make it. 
I don't care how far you come. I don't care how long you've been in church. If you're the 12th generation apostolic, if God doesn't have mercy upon you, you're not going to make it because our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best that you and I can do falls way short of the qualifications to get into heaven. And so God, have mercy upon every single one of us because we need his mercy. And we know that his mercies are new every morning. And we pray that and we say that, but if we just expect them to be there without ever asking for them. We expect him just to throw his mercy at us. That will not prepare your heart to enter the secret place of the Most High because there's some, it does something to your heart when you plead with God, have mercy on me. Because that's a cry of desperation. That's a cry that you believe, God, if you don't give me this mercy in this next moment, then I could fall over dead. Because pleading with God and asking him to have mercy upon me opens up your heart. You hear yourself admitting that without it we're dead. Without it we're lost. Without it we're, we cannot be make it into heaven. And so however you start out, Psalm 51 is going to determine how you finish it. You just start reading words, you'll probably just skip through it. But if you really take to heart, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. I'm not pleading to the word of God because in his word there's judgment. I'm only pleading to the multitude of his mercies. God, I'm talking to your mercy. That's what I need right now because I cannot go any further. I cannot go to the next step unless I have mercy because I have fallen short. I am flesh and blood and that's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so if I don't have mercy in my life, I cannot advance to the next place. And the only way that you're going to get mercy is if you cry out to God for it from your heart. Moving on to the next verse. See, we just barely got through one. When I started this out, it, it, the, the first verse took me like two hours and I, I ran out of time. And so before we go to the next verse, we need to define a term, iniquity. Iniquity is defined as perverseness, to bend, to make crooked, to err, to go astray. You deviated from the right path. You made a wrong choice. You erred in your judgment and your ways. That's what iniquity is. So verse 2, after he's begging for mercy, says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." Wash me thoroughly, God, not just a light wash, not just a quick, clean cycle, but I need to be cleansed thoroughly. I need every part of me to be scrubbed clean. Every dark part of my heart that I don't even know about, God, that needs to be cleaned. That needs to be cleaned and washed up because I need to be cleansed thoroughly. To cast down every imagination, pull down every stronghold, every high thing, every thought, every belief, everything that has exalted itself above the word and knowledge of God needs to be cleaned out of my life. 
And there's no way we can name them all because our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? The only one that knows our heart is God. Your pride will close off the doors in your heart that need to be cleaned out. And you'll go to the door and you'll hear your pride say, you're good in here. There's nothing in here. to. to you can skip this room. And we're so used to listening to the voice of our own pride, we probably, our, our homes and our hearts need a deep cleaning, that's for sure. And so, we need to ask God to cleanse us thoroughly, every part, get every seed of bitterness and anger, jealousy, envy, malice, wrath, strife. Just a little seed, we need to get that out of our hearts because we need to be cleansed thoroughly. If you want to go into the secret place of the Most High God, you cannot enter there with seeds of bitterness in your heart. God won't let you. Verse 3. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Forgive me, Lord, of every sin that I've done, every bad thought that I've had, every bad deed. I may have said ungodly things or ungodly actions. Forgive me for even the things that I should have done that I did not do. That's a sin. We know to do something and we don't do it. I think James tells us that's a sin. So we have to acknowledge our transgressions. We have to acknowledge that we're, we're, we can't make it without his mercy. We have to acknowledge our current condition and how it doesn't matter how long we've been in church, we still need a touch from God every single day in our life. Otherwise, we can wake up tomorrow on the wrong side of bed, on the wrong side of the road, and who knows where that can happen. Verse 4, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Other people may have been affected by my sin and by my errors. But every sin is against God. Every trespass goes against his righteousness, his holiness. And so that's why David says, against thee have I sinned, even though he committed adultery and committed murder. Every sin goes back up against God, and it's against his word and his law. Jesus said that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Every word. That means God's taking notes. And if he's taking notes of every word that we have said, every deed that we have done, you better be rest assured he's taking notes of every sin that we have done. And that's against him. And so that's why we have to acknowledge our sin. We have to realize our current state and accept that we are fallen. We cannot do it on our own. And so he goes into verse 5. This is the source of it all. Behold. I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's acknowledged that he's a sinner. He's acknowledged his transgressions, and now he's got to the bottom of his heart, the very root of the problem in his life, and he says, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. That means without the Spirit of God, iniquity and sin is going to rule your life. Because that's how we were shaping. We were born with a sinful nature. 
And if we, we've listened to our nature growing up, iniquity and sin shape pretty much who we, are, who we were. That means that iniquity is flowing through your veins. And you have a carnal nature, and if you don't crucify your flesh, sin can have easy access to it. And so that means uh, we have to be careful what's on the inside. We have to be aware. We can't just walk around thinking that we're okay. No, we have to ask God to thoroughly cleanse us because we grew up in iniquity. Iniquity was our best friend because it shaped us. It formed us to the man or woman that we are or we used to be or shaped by very iniquity. And so, we have a much closer bond to iniquity and sin than we even realize it. And so, if that is the source of, the, of our problem, that we are shaped in iniquity and sin where we conceived, then he goes on, David, and he, he hits rock bottom, addresses the root of the issue, I'm a sinner Even though I was born this way, that doesn't give me an excuse and a pass to get into heaven. We're all born like that. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in need of the grace of God. It doesn't matter how you've grown up. We've all were shaped by iniquity. And so at the very bottom of his soul, he hits the bottom and then he comes and finds the answer. And so if iniquity runs through us and pride runs through our veins... Then the solution is found in verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part shalt thou make me to know wisdom. And so if if iniquity runs inside of me, and that is the reason why I am the way that I am, and that's the reason I've been born in sin, if it's inside my very veins and vessels, then the only solution is you desire, God desires his truth to get on the inward parts. God, your word's got to get inside of me. It's got to get inside in the inward parts that I know may know your wisdom and, and, and knowledge and truth and light. Your light, God, your truth, your light needs to shine into my life. And that's what truth does. It exposes things. It will expose the the false uh, premises. It will expose false beliefs and doctrines because truth is truth. Truth stands on its own. And truth has light and it will shine into the darkness. And so that's what we need inside. We need the truth of God inside of us. And so, how does that happen? How do we get the truth inside? That's one of the hardest things. We found the the problem, and we found the solution. The solution is the truth of God getting in. But in order for the truth to get in, there has to be a breaking that takes place. A breaking of our will a breaking of our desires, a breaking of our pride, a breaking of our iniquity, a breaking of our self-righteousness, a breaking of everything, a breaking of our kingdom has to happen. Because iniquity shows up, iniquity walks the walls of your life. Pride stands guard at the gate of your heart. Because pride does not want anything else coming in. And pride knows 
that if the truth of God comes in, then his days are numbered. And that's why men and women, that's why we resist so much. That's our pride saying, I don't want the truth of God to come in. Because if I know the truth of God gets in, then my current life is over. I have to surrender myself and my will to the truth that I'm now exposed to. And I'm now will be held accountable. And so do you think that your pride and your ego and your arrogance wants this truth to get on the inward parts, to get on the inside of you? If that happens, then your will will die. Your kingdom will die. Your ways are going to die. And that's what prevents a lot of people from going any further. Because we want our will to survive. We want our ways to survive. We want our way of life to continue. We want our kingdom to keep on going because we're the king and queen of our own kingdom. When the truth of God comes in, it says that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and there's no other gods. And so that's a problem that we have to face once we allow the word of God in, if we allow his truth in. And so that is why we can so easily resist God's will. And that is why it can be so hard to kneel at an altar. Because the truth of God is going to reveal things. It's going to reveal your faults. It's going to reveal your weaknesses. It will expose you for who you really are. And you are no better than anyone else because we're all shaping in iniquity and we're all born in sin. And so until we can grasp a hold of that's who we really are, our nature is, that's what this flesh is derived from. Until we can do that, and the only way we can do that is with the truth of God coming in and discerning everything. And so now, he moves on as he understands what hap- has to happen. Better get some more water. He understands that once the truth of God comes in the inward parts, it's going to start exposing a whole lot more than we realize. We may be praying to God for forgiveness for some sin that we've done. But if you really allow the truth of God to run around on the inside of your heart and your life, it's going to find some other things. It's going to expose the deepest, darkest corners of your life if you allow it to. And that's what needs to take place if you want to be thoroughly cleansed from our iniquity and all the unrighteousness that's inside of us. And so he says, purge me, in verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And so you cannot be purged and cleansed until you allow the word of God to get inside of you and start cutting away things and start exposing the sin and the unrighteousness and the ungodliness and the seeds of bitterness and all these things. There cannot be a purging until you allow God to come in and cleanse. Hiss up. Hyssop is a aromatic plant. We know the story when they put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, the Passover. They were commanded to grab hyssop, 
dip the blood in that, and then you use that to, to do the doorpost. And so hyssop is symbolic of a cleansing, of a, of a purifying and a, a washing away and a covering and a pleading of the blood of Jesus. But you cannot be purged with hyssop until you allow God to come in and wreck your life. Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me hear joy and gladness. Why is he asking God to make him hear those things? That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. I'll tell you why he's asking to make God hear, make him hear joy and gladness is because all he can hear is pain. All he can hear is suffering. All he can hear is his pride on the ground crying because it's been kicked out of its chair and said, your will is not to be done. And so our pride is going to resist. Our nature is going to cry out. And there has to be a breaking that takes place. And when breaking happens, pain happens and suffering happens. And so David is broken. He's at the bottom. And he says, God, make me hear joy and gladness because I cannot hear it. All I hear are the cries of a sinner. All I hear are the pains and suffering. Make me hear joy, God. Make me hear gladness because I know that this process is good. I know that this is what I need. And so if I can't hear it on my own, God, make me. Send the, send the music to my ears. Send the joy to my ears. Send the gladness to my ears that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Because unless there's a breaking, there God can't really begin to use you until he's shaped you. Because we've been shaping in iniquity. But we have to allow God to mold us and shape us the way he wants. Iniquity shapes us according to our ways and sin's ways. But a breaking has to take place, then God, we can say, God, mold me and shape me as clay in the potter's hands. The only way that happens is when things are broken in our life. And so we have to uh, come to that point in our life where we say, God, make me to hear joy and gladness. Because the word of God, once it comes in, it's like a bowl in a china shop. If you allow it loose in your life, your life will be wrecked. But you have to realize and believe that that is for a good purpose. And so he goes on to say in verse 9, after he asked God, make me hear joy and gladness. In verse 9 he says, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Notice that sins is plural, now iniquities is plural. In the beginning of this verse, this psalm, he says iniquity and sin, singular. But once he got down to the process, now he's saying, God, there's more sin than I thought. There's more iniquity in there than I realized. And so once you, you came in and you made a mess of my life, God, but hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Don't look at the mess, God. Just clean it up. Don't look at all the brokenness. Don't look at all the pain and suffering and, and exposure of who I really am. God, hide your face from it because it's embarrassing. Hide your face from it and just blot it out. Just cover it up, Lord. You don't need to look at me. 
I'm nothing worthy to look at. There's not much good in me to look at. God, just cover me, Lord. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. And once the final cleaning up and the blotting out has taken place, then he can say in verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Got rid of all the junk. I've hit the bottom of my soul and I've searched it out and I've had his word come through and kick down every door in my heart and expose all the things in the the skeletons in the closets and get rid of all the seeds and darkness. Now, now I can say create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me because I trust I let your word come in and clean everything out. Now I want a new heart. You see how we skip to verse 10 and we say, created me a clean heart. See how much we miss. It's a process. We, we jump to verse 10 and think we're okay. Well, we're not. We missed a whole lot. We missed nine verses. And those nine verses really cut you open. And to learn and to appreciate what it means to ask God to create in you a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away, verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David, why? Why did you say this, David? Because David saw an anointed man of God be cast from God's presence. He saw King Saul have the Spirit of God removed from him. And an evil spirit was sent to torture the anointed man of God. Because Saul never entered Area 51. Saul never asked for mercy. Saul never got down on his knees and said, God, I'm just a sinner. God, I need your mercy to survive. God, I have sin and iniquity in me. God, clean me out. Get rid of my pride and ungodliness and unfilthiness and all these things. Saul never did that. And so that's why David says here, cast me not from thy presence because he saw it happen. And don't think that it can't happen to anybody. Doesn't matter you've been in church a hundred years. You start messing up, you can end out of God's presence. So we're not all exempt from this. We have to understand and realize why he's saying this because he saw it happen. He saw anointed king of king of Israel, anointed man of God, cast from God's presence. Verse 12, almost a little over halfway done. You can see how this can take eat up some time in your prayer closet. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, once we get to verse 12, you can really start to appreciate salvation again. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now I've realized, God, how far away I was, how dirty I was, how unclean I was. And thank you for your mercy that you can restore me again, that I can be saved, that I can come and be in your presence again. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. 
Take me back, Lord, to that time where I was first filled with your spirit and how joyful I was and how happy I was and how it changed my life and changed my day. Oh, how we've forgotten the joy of salvation. But I tell you, if you dig down with David every single day, you'll appreciate again. You'll find that joy again. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. If you don't have the joy of salvation, how are you going to convince a sinner to repent of his sins? If you're in church and you're depressed and downhearted and, and, and fearful and uncertain and you don't have the joy of salvation, you don't have the peace that passes all understanding, how do you expect to convince a sinner to come follow you as you follow Christ? But I'll tell you what, if you learn how to figure out and get a hold of God, you'll find that joy of salvation. And then, then I'm going to teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners are going to come to an altar. Why? Because I have a renewed passion, a renewed desire of your grace, of your mercy, and salvation. We'll understand the importance of it. We'll, we'll be able to look out there and see a world, a city full of sin, and our heart will break. Because our heart is broken every day by, by our own state and condition. If, we're not, if we don't repent over ourselves, if we're not uh, uh, saddened by our own state, then how would we expect to be saddened by their state? It becomes all mental knowledge. Nothing touches the heart. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud. Of thy righteousness. Tell you once. The joy of salvation is restored in your life. All you'll want to do is sing aloud of God's grace. Of his goodness. Of his grace. Of his righteousness. You'll be so thankful every day God. This is a day that you have made. I will truly rejoice and be glad in it. Because I know. uh, You could have not let me have today. You could have taken me in the night. But by your mercy. You gave me another day to be in your presence. And so I'm going to try my best. To bring you glory today. To lift you up today. To sing about your righteousness. Oh, Lord, verse 15, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. I tell you, if you get here to verse 15, you won't want to talk about others. You won't have time to criticize. You won't have time to complain and pick apart everyone else's life because you're just so happy to be saved. You're just so happy to feel the Spirit of God again and the joy of salvation. And all you want to do is to sing, sing about God and sing forth, show forth His praises. That's all I'm here for is to lift Him up and to magnify Him. I don't have time to peek into other people's lives. I got to worry about my own self. Musicians, if you would come rounding the corner. I know it's been... 50 minutes already. It can get a lot longer when you're alone in your prayer closet. Verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice. Else would I give it. 
thou desirest not in burnt offering. This doesn't really connect too much with us because those days they had to drag bulls and and animals to sacrifice for their sins. And God commanded it that way. That was the Mosaic law. You have to bring an animal. You have to shed innocent blood for you. But here David's saying, you don't desire and sacrifice, else I would give it. I'm king. I can offer a million rams if I wanted to. But you don't delight in that, God. Thankfully, because we can get caught up in our excuses. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. That's really what God's looking for. That's what he instituted, the the animal sacrifices, because he was hoping that these people would be sensitive enough to watch this life being drained from this poor, innocent animal because of a sin that they committed. God was hoping that that sacrifice would touch their heart and they would say, God, how can I continue in sin when I see this life being drained from this poor animal? But it never connected to their heart, and so they would just offer up uh, sacrifices. And that's why God, he said in verse earlier, thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. The sacrificial system became meaningless to the Jews. Didn't stop them from sinning. They just had more animals so they can cover more sins. But the true sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God will not despise. And that is what will get you admission into Area 51. Verse 17, but you can't skip to 17. You've got to start at verse 1 because you can't pass through those verses. Those verses help chip away at your old heart and help create this this new heart and this broken spirit. The way it's broken is through the word of God that you've passed through. And so we think we can skip, go into verse 10, creating me a clean heart, God. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit. You've jumped a lot of, you skipped ahead. And God can tell. He can tell when you have a broken spirit or not. He can tell when your pride is still holding you strong. He can tell when even though you've knelt down and you've punched the clock and you're praying, but pride is still in charge of the gate. He knows when when you have a broken and a contrite heart, that means nothing is left. You stand with me today. Verse 18, do good and thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. This is, took me a minute to think about this. Why, David, we've been talking about sin, iniquity, cleansing of the heart and wiping away all this stuff. And now we're in verse 18. And you're talking about building the walls of Jerusalem. Doesn't seem like it fits. Nothing to do with our heart. But I begin to think, what do what do walls do? Walls provide 
security. They provide a sense of safety. I got these walls up. They protect. They keep the enemy out. They're, they're, they're a barrier between me and what's on the other side. They keep the enemy away. They keep, uh, keep me safe on the inside. So David, why did you put this in here? And, and I think that he didn't ask for the walls of Jerusalem to be built until his heart was right. Because one of the most dangerous things you can have is walls up in your life. And if your heart is not right, that's a false sense of security. Those walls will come tumbling down in a split second if your heart is not right. And yet you'll walk around living like everything is fine because I got the walls up. Well, if your heart is not right, those walls ain't going to matter. And so he's, he's, he's been restored unto salvation. He's been reconnected to God. He's got a clean heart. His, his mind has been renewed in the spirit, and he's a new man. And now he says, God, now you can build the walls around me. Now I need your protection because I understand the value of it. Now I know it's all in here that if I let my heart get corrupted, you'll tear down those walls in a second and they'll mean nothing. Verse 19, last verse, we made it. Then thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Just three verses earlier, David, you're saying, God, you don't desire in burnt offerings. Now we're in verse 19, and now you're saying you will be pleased with burnt offerings. What's happened? What's changed? Well, now your heart has been changed. Now you understand the, the walls that have been built up and God's grace and mercy helped construct this hedge of protection in your life. And now, now if you have a right heart, now that sacrifice means something to you. Now you won't take things for granted any longer. It's not just another bowl, but it's an innocent life that is slain. And now, once your heart is right and, and, and you're thanking God for the walls of protection He has around you, now you're understanding it comes from my heart. And now you, you see those animals being sacrificed, and now it touches your heart. And you ask God again to, for another breaking every time you sin, even though that animal paid for your price. You still got to go back to verse 1 every time you sin, every time you mess up because uh, sinning kicks you out of area 51. Unrighteousness will kick you back out, and that's, that's good for us because we need to learn how to ask for mercy again. And that's why every single day I get down on my knees and I'm praying for this and and it just takes you to places. And, and yeah, you've got your other things to pray for and your list of people and all those things. And, and this to, does not replace that. But once you get a clean heart and a renewed or right spirit into you, then praying for those people means even more. Then you can dive into intercession even longer for those that are on your list and not just reading their names off because now something's changed inside of you. 
the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. And I, I know that everyone will say that they want to enter Area 51, but I hope today's message will inspire some of us to actually go, to actually seek it out and to actually spend more time and prayer and getting a hold of God and, and wiping away. The most time you got to do is get rid of yourself, get rid of your pride and ego and envy, all those, all those old friends that you used to run with. They, aren't no, they ain't good. But every single day they'll show back up because we still have this corrupted body, this nature. We're in a, we're a, 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 a sick and twisted world. And so if we're not careful, our old friends, iniquity, Pride, envy, ego, they'll show back up every day. They'll try to get back in your heart every single day because you were shaped with iniquity. You grew up with them. They're your childhood friends, your, your teenage friends that you went and did stupid stuff with. They still know who you are. You still know who they are. And they still want to be your friend. Until we learn that a breaking has to take place then God's truth can come in. And so I'm going to close out this service today as they begin to sing. Maybe, just maybe for a moment, you would try to touch the heart of God and to cry out for mercy in your life and to God, have God to start cleaning, cleansing you and washing you. God, that it is not in today, but God, we pick this up tomorrow at verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O oh God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy tender mercies. Oh, that's it. Just cry out to him today. Oh, we need your help, God. We turn our eyes from evil things. Find a place to connect with him. Oh, Lord, we cast out our so give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to
Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's worship him together. Let's thank him for his grace and his mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for another day. Ah, let me worship you, give you praise and glory in this day. The rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Your name is to be praised and to be lifted up, God. It should be me, God, doing that. It should be me giving praise to your name all day long for what you have done for me and where you've brought me from. Thanks to your mercy. David, I think it's Psalms 5 and 7, says, As for me, I come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercies. David understood the only way he got into the house of God is with the multitude of God's mercy. Because we none of us deserve to be here. And once we realize the only way we get through those doors is by the mercy of God, it should have an impact on our hearts and our life. And we should walk out of here different. And we should stand out differently in this world. Because if we have the joy of salvation, it should be all over our lives and all over our faces. I know we go through things, hardships, trials, tribulations, all these things. But how does that affect your salvation? What kind of connection? It really has no connection to your salvation. And so why should we allow storms and all these things steal the joy of our salvation? That doesn't affect my soul. It may affect my physical being and my livelihood. But why do I allow these things to steal the joy of being saved? That should be a pillar in our life. That that's not coming down, nothing happened, nothing's going to blow over the salvation of my soul. Once we have that, realize that and understand that. Man, we can move on to living a better life for God. Amen. Our our grow groups are uh, are over on Tuesday nights, and so we're starting up uh, prayer, an hour of prayer here at the church. If you want to come and pray, seven to eight, the church doors will be open. If you want to get a hold of God even more? I tell you, as this world gets even crazier and crazier, you don't know. We don't know what ha- what the news is going to bring. But if we don't find a hold of God, we're going to be, we'll be out there crazy with them. Because this world needs Jesus. It needs Jesus more than ever before. He can heal the brokenhearted. Amen. If we understand the, the sin and the, 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 the hatefulness of people and sin, the answer is Jesus. And we are to be the light out there. We have to understand who we are first. And so... Let's go out and show this world some love, mercy, grace, all that God has shown us. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed today in Jesus' name.